It's really a matter of great pride for me to speak to Neil Gaiman. Hi, Neil. How are you? Wonderful to meet you. I hope everything's well on your side of the world. Everything's great, and it's wonderful to meet you too, Rishi. Neil, I'm just curious to know, I mean, your prolific writing work, the comic books, the graphic novels, all of that is, is the stuff of legend. But narration is an entirely different art. And often people would go to theater school, I don't know, voiceover acting college and things like that. Are you just a natural or did you train? I accidentally trained when I was a very young. I was a 10-year-old kid with a lisp and I was sent to elocution lessons to fix the lisp and my teacher promptly enrolled me in the lambda london academy of music and dramatic arts program and so you know by the end age of 16 i was a lambda gold medal and then never did anything with it never went on to act never went on to do any that kind of thing and most of my my narration came from reading books and reading stories to my kids at night and you know every night i'd be reading and i'd be reading a book and really it wasn't until the uh, youngest maddie decided that she was done with being read to every night that i decided that it would be fun to start reading my own books as audiobooks because it was time and i started doing some of that and there was a certain amount of resistance in the beginning to having an author read his own stuff at the publishers and then they were prepared to take a chance on me i think coraline was the first book that i was allowed to professionally record and it did so well that they let me do my own audiobooks at that point and that was an absolute delight and it also meant that when it came to doing sandman dirk mags was he, he turned around and said well you've got to be the narrator and i said no you should get a real narrator we should get ian mckellen or somebody and he said no it's going to be you when i look back at it i can't imagine anybody else doing it but you it's such an excellent job but honestly are you your own harshest critic or over the sands of time have you learned to go easy on yourself do you ever listen back often to your sessions at least in the dubbing room no <laughs> no i don't for me audiobook stuff it's a lot like hearing yourself a long time ago back in the olden days we used to have voicemail that would be actual machines that you would keep by the telephone and sometimes you'd be listening to the messages that people had left for you that day and suddenly you you'd run into a message that you had left for the people at home and the embarrassment factor the speed with which you would press delete you know hearing your own voice was an awkward thing and it's still an awkward thing for me. I don't know that I'm my own harshest critic. I'm sure there are people out there given the the wonderful world of Twitter and so forth who who think I'm even worse than I do. But I don't take any pleasure in listening to my voice. On the other hand, with the Sandman stuff that Audible is doing, I will listen to it with pleasure and I will not curl my toes at the narration because I know that Dirk Mags will always take care of me and because I want to hear the whole I want to hear this amazing performance I want to hear how it works you know it's extraordinary but I heard the English version of the Sandman and then I went and heard the Hindi version of it which is very very popular in India and I wonder if you know but some of our top bollywood stars have lent their voice to the Sandman I've had the good fortune to also interact with a couple of them and they've been very thrilled at what they've been able to achieve. I know it's an alien language, I know it's a different language, but do you ever listen back 
to other languages just to get the feel of it, you know, for a you few know, minutes? I would love to. I have to figure out with Audible how to do that because I've been hearing such amazing things about the, the Hindi version. I'm like, I have to listen to this. I And the stars and the performances. So I definitely would be really excited to hear that. I have absolutely no idea how I would go about that. Probably what I'd do is simply say to somebody at Audible, hey, could I listen to this? And the stuff would turn up on my computer. But it had never occurred to me. I was so thrilled at the quality of the caliber of performers that we've got. Seeing the stars, it just made me so incredibly happy. The Sandman itself is something that I thoroughly enjoyed because of all, you know, these illusions and the fact that William Shakespeare makes an entry and Chaucer makes an entry and things like that. All stuff that comes out of that wonderful head of yours. You quite enjoy that, don't you? I do. I think a lot of that is always wanting things there for people rereading or re-listening. So you want to put stuff in there for people who are listening or reading the first time through. And you want lots of stuff there for them. But you also want to build it in. So the next time they decide to do it, they'll start spotting connections they didn't. And they'll realize, oh, that's a reference to this thing that we heard earlier. And it will become richer and stranger and more interesting for them. You know, your stories have gone on to be major motion pictures, acclaimed stage plays, but the audio form is a different animal, isn't it? I mean, you have no visuals to supplement, you know, some of these lines. It's just a voice. A lot of it is ambient listening. People who are jogging on their treadmill, you know, on their hammocks and things like that. How important is audio to you? I I imagine important, but when you compare it to the stage versions or the movie versions of a lot of the stuff that, that you do, can you instantaneously tell this is a piece that would work the best on pure audio and this would work well on stage and this would work well on, on the movies? You know, I'm not sure there's anything that won't work as pure audio. Wow. And the reason that I think that is because... You are, on the one hand, you have something occurring in real time in the same way that it occurs in real time on a film or on the stage. But you are engaging the facility of the imagination. You are forcing the listener to become a collaborator. They hear the sounds of a pub in 14th century London, and now they build a pub in 14th century London in their head. And they hear a voice and they build a person to go with it. And they hear a description and then they modify that. And you don't have to worry about the special effects budget. You don't have to worry about an awful lot of stuff, but you're also making them complicit in everything that happens. And I think that gives you an intimacy with audio that you don't get with anything else. I used to Over the years, people would say to me, you know, you work in so many different media. What's your favorite medium? And I would say, you know, basically it's audio drama. And and back then I would say, I would add a little joke. I would say, and if it wasn't for the fact that I would need to send my children out on the street to dance for pennies so that we could buy food, I would do nothing but audio drama. Because back then it was the lowest paid thing that you could possibly do that was nothing less these days that's changed and the numbers and it's changed because of audible it's changed because everybody has a phone which is an amazing delivery 
system for audible audio drama so you no longer have to buy cassettes or buy bulky cd boxes you know audible gives you that instant access to millions upon millions of hours of stuff and the world has responded so i i think it's still audio drama uh but now it's it's become something that changes the world rather than something that you put in on a cassette for a long car journey well, that really warms the cockles of my heart. I've spent a larger part of a, a couple of decades in some uh, doing pure audio, and it's wonderful to see your belief and, and love for the medium. Interestingly, I asked the great Sir David Attenborough where he would do a lot of his voice work. I had the good fortune of speaking to him during the pandemic, and he said they actually set up a tent in his garden, in his lawn, and it turned out very well because, you know, he could grab a cup of tea, go to his, his lawn, as it were, and, and voice. So do you have a dedicated corner in your house, or do you actually go to the studio? How do you manage these voluminous long hours of dubbing? We've done different things in different places. It started, I did studios until the pandemic, and then I was on the Isle of Skye, miles away from any other human beings, and Audible just sent me stuff they they sent me a microphone and a mic stand and then i i set up these sort of giant sound baffles in the quietest room in the house with the the lowest ceiling and the least amount of echo and that was where i did a lot of stuff including you know audio drama for the bbc in my little that little space but now back in america now the pandemic has has allowed travel and stuff i've created a little studio and it, it was finished a couple of months ago so it's still exciting for me and it's a tiny converted bathroom <laughs> and we've hung rugs on all of the walls to muffle the sound and put down audio tiles and I thought there was just room for me because I never thought anybody else would be there and last week I wound up with I'd agreed to be in an animated movie that I can't really talk about that's coming up. Fair enough. And I thought I was going to be doing that down the line in a local studio or in my studio down the line. And instead, the crew and people turned up. So I had to squeeze two directors into a room that really fit one person, which is me. <laughs> which was actually, it, it all worked fine, except that it was funny. So every now and then, when I would make them laugh, I'd do a really good line reading and it would be really funny and it would be ruined by the fact that you could hear these two directors laughing. Well, you can't go wrong with rugs on the wall. Mick Jagger and Keith Richards of the Rolling Stones say some of their best recordings have happened like that in country houses where they've just put rugs on the wall, you know, yeah. and, and created great rock and roll albums and records. You know, anybody who follows your work know that, you know, you grew up on Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings and The Chronicles of Narnia. You always pay homage to Alice in Wonderland, you know, all these fine books. But my question to you is, as far as comics were concerned, what, what did you grow up reading? Well, I grew up for the first sort of 10 years of my life. I started out on English comics with names like Wham, Smash, Powell, Fantastic and Terrific, which were, on the one hand, these slightly anarchic British comedy strips. And, but they also reprinted Marvel comics in black and white. So I was reading all of the stories of Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, Thor, Daredevil, all of these from the first, wow. which I really like the fact that I didn't, I didn't come in in the middle. I came in as if I was a much older person in America. And then when I was about 11, maybe 10, 
I picked up a copy of Swamp Thing and fell in love. And as far as I was concerned, just the best thing in the world were these sort of American horror comics like Swamp Thing, Phantom Stranger, some of the, the anthology comics like The House of Mystery and The House of Secrets. And when it came to doing Sandman, I kind of wanted to do my version of those things that I've grown up loving. So it's, Sandman isn't exactly a horror comic, but you get, you get some very dark, scary moments in there. Was there ever any DC in there? Some Batman or Wonder Woman and things oh, like that? Absolutely, yes. I mean, that was DC. So those comics were all published by DC. Batman showed up in Swamp Thing. Batman, you know, the Phantom Stranger and Batman went off on adventures. But I liked, I think I liked the creepier ones more than I liked the superhero ones. Because normally in the superhero ones, you could solve your problem by hitting somebody. And I never really believed as a kid that you could solve a problem by hitting somebody you definitely couldn't solve a problem by hitting somebody through a wall and then they'd get up and say now you've made me really angry and they'd come at you again and it just all felt wrong whereas one of the things i loved about the horror comics weirdly is the fact that people used their brains to get out of trouble because if you're in a horror comic you probably don't have superpowers and you probably aren't the strongest person in the room so you're going to have to think your way out of trouble a last couple of questions a contemporary author that you really admire and why let me pick an author there are so many authors i love and admire but let me point to a writer called jonathan carroll who is much much lesser known than most of the authors that i could pick he's an american author living in vienna and for the last 40 years he's been writing some of the most beautiful human novels he i feel like if he'd only been a south american they would have gone ah you are a magical realist and everybody would have discovered him and loved him and instead because he's not nobody's ever quite sure what to make of these beautiful strange novels his latest is called mr breakfast and let me point at jonathan carroll because he's marvelous is there a travel destination that you went to recently and said wow this is amazing <laughs> Well, my favorite place in the world is still the Isle of Skye off the coast of the west coast of Scotland. It's and I think what I love about it is it's very bleak but incredibly beautiful. There's nowhere else in the world that I look out and I look at the clouds and the sun and the interplay and what the light is doing and I am just struck dumb by the absolute beauty of what i'm seeing and perhaps it's that way everywhere but sky it renders me speechless and brings tears to my eyes just what the clouds and the light can do what's a local delicacy that you love eating there are you a foodie at all <laughs> i'm i am i'm i'm a bit of a foodie but if you're on sky actually we're kind of spoiled for choice there there are a lot of amazing restaurants but the I think the local delicacy really on Sky if you're going to talk local is probably things that have been fished out of the water so it's either fish or it's local shellfish or it's it's things like the little langoustin these tiny lobsters anything like that is a fabulous sky delicacy but for me when I'm there the best delicacies come from my next door neighbor who has a little boat and ah. <laughs> will he'll knock on my door when I'm there and just hand me a bunch of mackerel 
that he's caught. <laughs> and I will stick that mackerel in the oven and that's the best. That's beautiful. All of you are watching and listening. The Sandman with Neil Gaiman's voice on it is on Audible. There's also tons of other stuff. If you want to catch up, the Graveyard Book, Norse Mythology, the Pickwick Papers, the Neil Gaiman at the End of the Universe, Odd and the Frost Giants, his entire catalog of Neil Gaiman's voice on Audible. I highly advocate you guys uh, go and check it out. I really appreciate your time. Thank you very, very much. And I can't wait for you to come to India and me be in the audience uh, and to hear you speak about your incredible career in life. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rishi.